All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. This week, we have the prodigal return of Robert Johnson. Christian Coleman is back as well. He's been cleared to run at Worlds. We promised that we'll talk about Abeldo Salazar. We didn't talk about him at all last week, so sorry for that oversight. Donovan Brazier is a Diamond League champion, which means Brandon Kidder is going to Worlds. Drew Hunter is pulled out of Worlds, which means Ben True is going to Worlds, so some shakeups on Team USA. We've got some fantastic Diamond League finals in Brussels this week to preview, including Craig Engels getting into the 1500 final, all that, and much more. But let's start. Robert, it's got to be a good day for you. You're back on the Let's Run.com podcast. Ezekiel Elliott has signed a long-time deal with the Cowboys. How are you feeling? Very excited to be back to save the podcast. I'm sure the numbers were down last week. There was I did listen to the podcast on my vacation, and there was a number of things that greatly upset me. Weldon threatened to do the podcast again yesterday, and I wasn't back yet, so I said I would do my own podcast. I think that scared him into postponing it a day. So, good to be back. Very upset about Zeke. I, I don't believe in caving to players who hold out like this. Very, very upset. I wanted him to sit out and never play for the boys again. John, good news. Numbers were up last week from two weeks ago when I was off the podcast and Robert was on it. The era of facts, I mean, that's all I can say. Also, John, we've been receiving a lot of feedback. Maybe about a month ago, we said go to letsrun.com slash podcast and give your feedback. And I had actually decided I had never checked the entries. Tons of feedback was received. And here's some samples from that. The podcast is great, except for Rojo. Please get him off. Actually, just kidding. We did get a lot of feedback, so if you want to get feedback, go to letsrun.com slash podcast. How about this one? Rojo's insouciance, Galt's perspicacity, and Weejo's humanity are my favorite part of the podcast. I mean, like, I need a dictionary to look up those terms. But that's the type of feedback we're getting. Only one person was negative out of, like, 40 people filled out the form. I mean, detailed reviews. So letsrun.com slash podcast to give us feedback. Sponsors plug, guys. If you need certified CBD products, go to floydsofleadville.com. But we now have our own code. Use code Let's Run. This thing is going so well, we have our own code. Use the code Let's Run to save 15% on certified CBD products. You can get tinctures, oils. They have a recovery drink. Don't mess around with CBD products at your local pharmacy. Go to floydsofleadville.com for performance CBD products for runners. Folks, and if you do want to call in, you can also just... Reach the show by calling the Let's Run phone number. You can't reach Facebook, can't reach Twitter, but you can reach us, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. But let's get back to the praise. John speaks proper Queen's English. Is that what it's called, John? Robert's, Rojo's insuance? What? And Galt's perspicacity? Well, we judge humanity. Weldon is so now about accepting everything. I understand what that is. But what is insuance and perspicacity? Perspicacity, John. All right, all right, insouciance and perspicacity. Uh, I admit, I did actually. I was an English major, and I still had to look these words up. I feel like this this commenter was intentionally just trying to. You, he looked. He went to a thesaurus before he posted this stuff to try to impress us. So I don't know if that's worked or not. But insouciance, I think, essentially just means you don't give a fuck, Robert. About you know, you're very. Uh, you have an opinion, and you don't care whether people like it or not. You're just going to say it, and I think that's what people like about you. Perspicacity, I think I looked it up and said uh, lens, lending insight or that sort of thing. So I like to think that I, yeah, having a ready insight into and understanding of things. I like to feel like that's an accurate summation of my role on this podcast. So, uh, yeah, I think it was a pretty fair comment. But a- 
Anyway, let's get to another thing we teased in the intro. Alberto Salazar. I'm sorry, our streak was over. We didn't mention him last week, but we have to mention him this week because the Nike Oregon project just went out and crushed it in the Diamond League final. I mean, Safan Hassan and Constanza Klosterhalfen won two in Zurich last week. Donovan Brazier winning the 800, even though Donovan Brazier is coached by Pete Julian, but he's a member of the Oregon project. I mean, I feel like we kind of have to praise him, right? You're kidding, right? I mean, the reason why I wanted to come back in the podcast is not only did you guys not mention slash bash Alberto like we need to on a weekly basis, you also dissed my boy, Jerry Shoemaker. And in the, you know, it's like red versus blue, Jerry versus Alberto. You got to pick a side. I'm pro, pro pro Jerry. You guys were ripping Jerry last week on the podcast. It seems like the, from start to finish for not racing his guys in the Diamond League final or not racing at all. In the grand scheme of things, we're not going to remember who runs the regular season. We're going to remember who runs well at Worlds. If Jerry's guys deliver at Worlds, he's vindicated. And, you know, you're talking about, oh, he's not running the Diamond League final. And all I could think of is, you know who else isn't running the, the, the Diamond League final? It's the Brooks Beast, the Reebok Boston Track Club, Mark Bowden, Coogan's New Balance team. Basically, everybody in the United States, except for the NOP. Yes, credit to them, Alberto. You guys are, are in the Diamond League final and Worlds. And maybe Derek Thompson. Like nobody else. The other teams are such JV teams compared to these Nike powerhouse teams that we shouldn't even be debating who's going to Worlds. Well, I flip it on that though, Robert. It's like these other groups don't get the star power that Bauman Track Club can attract. They they have Nike dollars behind them. And I mean, I'll give them this. Look, Shelby Houlihan, I think when she came into college, people weren't thinking in a few years she's going to be the best 1500 meter runner in the world or one of them. So I give Jerry a lot of credit for that. But Nike can also get better talent for the Bauman Track Club than it can than you know Reebok can for uh, the Boston Track Club and those other groups can, you know? Oh, I agree. And when I was at Cornell, people were like, why aren't you winning nationals? I'm like, because I don't have the talent. No offense, I love my Cornell guys. Yes, you you know, I, I feel like I could coach a world-class athlete. By the way, the 330 guy from Britain. Charlie Grice. Mr. Grice, if you want to be coached and you want to make worlds, I will take you to the promised land. Just give me a call. I will get back in the game. I don't want you to be the modern day version of Steve Holman. That was another thing y'all talked about. That was huge. I mean, shocking. Anyways, but y'all want to praise Alberto? Go ahead. I mean, yes, a a, a good meet, but can we talk about the massive, massive failure? I know where you're going, Robert. Men's 5,000 meters. He he supposedly is the greatest distance coach in the world. He's he's nurtured Galen Rupp from a child to a, a, a prodigy, and Mo Farah comes over from another country. He gets him. He's just he can't find another American that he wants to develop up into distance greatness. So he goes over, gets Yamif Kajelcha, already one of the top world distance runners. The guy can't even finish in the top four or five for Ethiopia in the Diamond League final. Finishes way back and is now probably off the world's team for the five thousand. Yeah, I think my guess. From what I've read is that he's probably going to do the 10K. He did, remember, he finished second in the Ethiopian 10K trial. So he's on that team. But it sounds like he won't be doing the 5K. I've also read some of the Ethiopian journalists on Twitter have been saying that Ethiopia doesn't want anyone doubling in the 5K 10K. So they might not have put him on the 5K team anyway. But yeah, obviously, you know, this guy is the two-time reigning world indoor champion. He broke the world indoor record in the mile this year. And yet he was only sixth in the Diamond League final. He was the fourth Ethiopian in that field. Can we also give props? Joshua Chepta guy, guy ran his heart out. He he knew he doesn't have the kick of some of these other guys like Gebrewet or Borrega. But what he does have is just an enormous engine. So he pushed it from like, halfway through the race 
ran his last mile in 403, lost 800 and two flat point one. I mean, this guy just bowled out. Mad props to him and a total lack of respect for him. The other guys, like, do they not realize that he won the pre-classic two mile, that he's the world cross country champion? The idea that they could let him get this big gap is just ridiculous. Well, I want to know the story behind the story. Like the Ethiopian Federation, I mean, some of these federations, all of them seem to just be so incompetently run that it's amazing. But like the way that was race was run was so bizarre to me. Like the Ethiopians basically all go out in last place. And I felt like Kajelcha didn't want to do what he did last year, which is rabbit that field out and get beat. I think he was afraid about where he's going to finish in the Ethiopian. So to his credit, Alberto or, or Julian or someone may have said, just don't do the work, sit on those guys and blow them away at the end. But maybe that messed with his head. They were so far back. It was just stupidity. Like, were they racing each other? Hello, there's $50,000 on the line. You know, you're trying to like you're trying to save your world spot. Like, I, I don't know. I, that was a, a bizarre race. But to the praise of Alberto, the women in the 1500 were incredible. Hassan, I mean, we praised Muir for closing right in 57 early in the year in a 358 race. Here she closed in 57 in a 357 race. I mean, what is she going to do at Worlds? I, I want to see the 10,500. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think that's what everyone wants to see at this point. One more note on Kajelcha. I do think, from what I've seen uh, on social media, he has been a bit banged up this year. Uh, he's had a few injury setbacks, so don't know the severity of that, but obviously that could impact his finishing. But yeah, I think Hassan 10K15, That I know it sort of seemed like a joke when we first suggested it, but I seriously think that might be the best double for her to do. It was a joke, John, but now it's real, showing everything of substance in the running world originates here. But Robert's comment about Schumacher, and now we we have NOPs, apparently, and Bowerman and JV clubs. So everyone else sponsoring the sport, thank you for the JV teams you're putting out there. But what? So I don't understand. Those JV teams, if they had a guy in the world at the Diamond League final, I guarantee almost all of them would send them. So now Jerry gets credit for being a major league team and just not participating in, in, in these events. It's much better for the sport if some of those people are running the Diamond League final. But agreed. If they show up at Worlds and, and deliver, no one's going to care. But for the sport, we need a way to get people to sort of do some of these other events. Yeah, I was kind of just doing a little bit of a hot take. To the Coogans of the world and, and Chris Foxes, I love you guys. Hey, and you now experience what I experienced at Cornell. And I've always defended coaches. You can only do so well with the talent you have. When, when Alberto Salazar started his Nike Oregon project and was doing sort of mid-tier U.S. talent, he wasn't beating the world. When he was coaching the equivalent of Weldon Johnson, he wasn't winning the world. So, yeah, I mean, of course they get the best winners. Of course they had the best results. So it drives me nuts when I see these message board threads about who's the best coach and they debate between the people who are, you know, I mean, give me a break. And I actually like Kajelcha. Like, he was my favorite for Worlds. He was undefeated in the 5,000 this year until that race. I would like to see him. I just wish these team, these countries would say, we're going to have one race. This is a trials. We need to get rid of this selection process. All the countries need to have top three go, period. I mean, people are complaining, right, John, about the British, the attendance at the British trials. Why would you go to the British trials when the top two go in? And then if you screw up, we can still put you on the team. So it's like, okay, it's, it's important, sort of, but not really, because if you want to skip it, your name's Laura Muir, that's fine. Like, that just doesn't sell well. You know, you guys are talking about races that matter, races that should matter. Are, the, are your national championships. Top three, and you go, period. Well, okay, but what about when your federation says you can't chase the standard? Here's the situation we have in the men's 5K at USA's, Robert. We currently have the second placer, the fourth placer, and the seventh placer is going to be our team at Worlds because three, you know, Lopez Lemong doesn't have the standard. Woody Kincaid doesn't have the standard. 
Riley Masters doesn't have the standard. I mean, to me, that's... I just don't understand. USATF, they never provide a good explanation for why that you're not allowing people to chase the standards as they did in 2017 and 2015. They essentially blamed it on the timing of Worlds this year, and I, which just sounded ridiculous because Worlds has just shifted to a month later. It's not like the whole ecosystem around the, the track and field world changed. USA had their trials a month later to respond to that. So the idea that they're not letting people chase the standard... I mean, Josh Thompson just ran 335 in Berlin last week. It was the fastest by an American this year. He's clearly in great shape. He doesn't get to go to Worlds because he didn't have the standard at the time of USA's. No, I, I'm all for that. I am for honoring top three. If they can go in any sort, shape, or form, they should go, period. It's just, it just shows you how incompetent USATF is. But, John, you should be celebrating this. Dartmouth alum, Ben True, you are going to Worlds. Congratulations. In case you haven't heard it, Drew Hunter has pulled out this morning. And this actually made me feel good because remember a couple weeks ago on the podcast, I ripped Drew Hunter. I thought I said he looked so bad at the end of that USA race. He was just getting smoked, and I know he did make the Worlds team, but it wasn't like impressive the way he looked. Apparently, an emailer at the time said he doesn't look well. He looks injured. Steve Soprano has it. Uh, I should probably prop this guy's name, but thank you for emailing us. And it's come out. He's had a lot of injury problems and is now pulled out of Worlds. So maybe if he gets healthy, he'll look better and have more of a finishing kick. But, you know, y'all are talking about, Walden talked about how Safan Hassan, the 10,000, 5,000 was, was not even real, and now it's real. This is another thing that's real. About a month ago, again, my number one source, this guy knows everything about track and field. He, this is a guy that predicted that Donovan Brazier in high school was a better talent than Grant Fisher. No one believed that, and now it's been vindicated. Diamond League champion, uh, Donovan Brazier. Get back to me if Grant Fisher even w- w- runs in a Diamond League final in his career, let alone wins it. But, um, you know, about what, John, about a month ago, he texted me and said, Drew Hunter out of Worlds. So I, I called John up and, John, I have a story you can break. Yeah, I looked into it. John didn't break it. At the time, it wasn't true. Drew Hunter, if you read David Monty's article, Drew Hunter did not make the decision to scratch from Worlds until last week. So to report that at the time would have been premature, Robert. I get it's interesting. John reached out to Hunter's agency, and one of the people there got back to Drone and said, 100% Drew Hunter is running Worlds. Obviously, that's false, because if it's 100% and he's now not doing it, now things this proves that things change. But it also shows you sometimes that, folks, the let's run message board, the rumors are actually more true than reality. Like, a person in their head is like, I'm running Worlds, I'm running Worlds, I'm running Worlds. And the reality is, no, you're not, no, you're not, no, you're not. So, it's fascinating, folks. Sometimes... You don't even know what's truth with your own life. Like, you know, it's kind of like, it's bizarre. <laughs> so so next, here's the, the advice to professional runners. Next time you're questioning yourself and you have a major career decision, go to the Let's Run message boards and you will find the inner source of wisdom that you sorely lack. The emailer on the Drew Hunter thing is named James Baxter. He just essentially saw Drew running at USA's and was like, I think he's injured. He doesn't look healthy. Did we... Talk to Drew at USA's after that race? Yeah, I did. I don't remember him saying that he was he was hurt, but you know, I don't think you're generally not going to just come out and admit, yeah, my foot's broken. I, I want to give Hunter props for getting fifth at USA's while hurt. It's very hard to run if you're injured. If you don't feel when you're racing, I feel like your body deep down is not running as fast as it should. But I also want to be on the record for saying, Ben True, if you're listening to this, I told John a month ago, I said, John, you need to reach out to True. He'll go to Worlds if Hunter pulls out. Please make sure that he's training properly for Worlds and not just bagging the season, the rest of the season. Now, he did run the Diamond League final last week, so hopefully 
he hasn't had too much drinking in the last four or five days before the news came out. Or hopefully, maybe Hunter tipped him off and it might be coming. Because there's still another month in your season, Ben. I think this is only the second world team he's ever made, right? Yeah, second one. He made it in 2015, made the final. I mean, Ben True, at least when I knew him, you know, I didn't know him in college, but I... Sorry, he didn't overlap with me in college, but he came to visit Dartmouth a few times. Back then, I think he was a teetotaler, so I don't think he's going to go out there being getting getting blasted. I think he'll be fine. But obviously, you know, he didn't... He ran... All right, he got ninth in the Diamond League final, which the place is okay, but he only ran 13-18 when it was 12-57. So I think making the final at Worlds would be good for him, um, but not, you know, it's not going to be easy. Okay, guys, enough... Men's 5K, women's 800 talk, women's 1500 talk. We need to talk about the race of the week. And I'm going to do a rare Alberto Salazar praise segment here. Donovan Brazier, an American man, has won a Diamond League final. Do we know how, I mean, think about how big this is. When's the last time an American man won a mid-D or distance final? Robert, we've never had an American man win a Diamond League title in an event longer than 400 meters. So... Really, it, it tells you how historic what Brazier's victory in Zurich was. Wow. I mean, that was asked more as a rhetorical question, and I thought maybe I was getting old and just forgetting things. But, John, this is why I love you. I don't know how the numbers could have been higher without me. Well, then me and you, we get along so well. The, the, the camaraderie. Anyways, like, the race was amazing. Like, 300 meters into the race, I was watching on an iPad. I took a screenshot. I'm like, these dudes are embarrassing themselves. Look how far back Murphy and Brazier went. And then at the end of the race... They're the victors. I mean, I mean, or, or I mean, Brazier was the victor. So smart, almost gets the American record, wins the whole thing. And I thought it was a perfect race. Not only did an American win, and, and and Brandon Kidder is going to going to Worlds, so we get a small team into Worlds. And small teams, guys. Earlier, I was kind of, you know, trashing. I, I love you guys. Like that's what I was at Cornell. You, you're not going to win the big the big races without the talent. And they've got some people going to Worlds, so that's fantastic. But. Not only did Brazier win, I thought Nigel Amos looked amazing. I wanted him to be healthy. I want him on game, his game at Worlds. He looked amazing. He was on world record pace for 600. I mean, at 600, I was like, oh my God, like, what is he doing? And then at 700, I was like, ah, oh, the bear's jumping on his back. I, I got to admit, Robert, he got to 600 meters and 114.3, and I'm watching him, and I'm like, oh my God, he's going to run 140. This is it. Rudisha's world record. It's going to go down. And then... I was like, okay, he looked okay getting 100 to go. And then, yeah, 100 to go. I was just like, oh, my God. And Brazier, I mean, measured it perfectly. He went out in 50.8, which that's not that's not very fast for a, for a very elite top-level 800. So he made up a lot of ground because, remember, the rabbit went through in 48.2. I think Amos was around 48.4. And Brazier then he comes home in 51.9 for the second lap, which is terrific. I mean, to run 142.70 makes him the second fastest American in history. I mean, the thing, I'm just so impressed with Brazier's poise and his racing ability this year. He, You would get to some big meets in the past, and you got to remember, first of all, the guy's still only 22 years old, but he'd get to some of these meets, and he'd just looking over his head. Obviously, the Olympic trials in 2016, remember, but then World Indoors last year, remember, he... He stepped on the line and he essentially got himself DQ'd and then didn't make the final anyway. So to see the poise that he's been running with, he's won two Diamond Leagues now this year. He just looks so much more comfortable out there. It's really a credit to uh, Brazier, but also to Pete Julian and Alberto Salazar for uh, getting him comfortable. John, I'm a little disappointed. You thought you also would give some praise to yours truly after he won. 
I think it was a day or so later, I was on vacation. I was rudely interrupted in my vacation by Jonathan Galt. No, I still get nice texts from John on vacation. John was very excited. He was linking, I think, to an IAAF interview of Brazier. And John seemed shocked that Brazier and his post-race interview said, look, it repeated one of my mantras about middle distance running. You only have one move in 800. John seemed shocked that, that Brazier knew this, John. It's not shock. It's a fact. I've told you it's a fact. I don't understand why you doubted me about this, John. Like, so are you going to give me credit now? Since do you think Salazar and Julian stole that from me? I wonder where I got that because I, I have a couple mid D theories that I really love, and I don't know where I came up with them or if I stole them from somebody else or what. I mean, the NOP has they got a sports psychologist, Darren Treasure. Do they need like a race strategy coach? Could that be you or Robert? Are you secretly on the payroll of the NOP? No, because he wouldn't have he wouldn't have bashed Alberto and defended Jerry at the start of the podcast if that was the case. But what well, makes it more realistic? Oh, plausible deniability, baby. <laughs> and then I get Jerry's secrets and I tell him to Alberto. Wow, we have a mole. Anyway, I do agree with you, Robert. Though, why would you think I disagree? That the eight hundred. I remember reading it. I think when I was in college, I read that you said you only get one move in the eight hundred, and I remember watching like Hep's finals and all that stuff, and I'm like. This is absolutely correct. It's totally true. You only get one move in the 800. Brazier made it with 300 to go, and it was a long, pretty long extended move, but it worked. But I, I, what I was surprised by, though, is like Donovan Brazier, I remember when I first interviewed him at NCAAs a couple of years, he didn't even know who Jim Ryan was, when he, and he goes on to break Jim Ryan's record, uh, the NCAA 800 record. So uh, maybe, he, does he read Let's Run, or was this passed along to him by someone who reads Let's Run, or was the originator... Maybe Salazar invented this phrase and Robert picked it up from him. So who knows? Of course, Johnny leads Let's Run. And speaking of the JV, what's what we called them earlier, small teams, we'll, we'll go with these terms for a while until people get pissed off. Like we used to call D3 Nationals baby Nationals until some people got very sensitive. Used to. I feel like everyone calls it baby Nationals still on the message boards. But... The JV runner of the week, Brandon Kinner, I'm be rooting for him. We kind of we didn't really piss on him in the recap of the Diamond League, but we're like, hey, a 148 guy is now going to Worlds because that was what Kinner's most recent result was. But he ran in Berlin over the weekend, 145.9. So second race in Europe since USA's and big improvement there. And so, you know, Isaiah Harris is running slightly faster, but it's good to see Kitter sort of rounding into form. He's got a month for Worlds and... You know, he's got a chance at Worlds to do something. It's kind of exciting to be rooting for an underdog. So good luck to him at Worlds. Did I hear that right? I think Weldon just said that Brandon Kidder ran 145.9 in Berlin. No, 335.9. 1,500. 336.15. Wow, Rojo issuing the stats correction. That's uh, that's my lane, Robert. You trying to trying to step on my territory? Yeah, so he ran well in the 1,500. I, I, I'm curious why he didn't run the 1,500 at USA's, right? I mean, he was more of a 1,500-meter runner, and I guess he was fourth his senior year in the NCAAs in the 1,500. Then he, he opted for the 800. But that Berlin 1,500-meter was, was fascinating. Josh Thompson wins at 335.01. If that 01 ends up costing him a spot in the Olympics, it's going to drive me nuts. USATF, please go with the world ranking system. But second place, guys, did you? no one's talked about this, I don't think. Well, this is a nice long-lost cousin. Jensen Johnson from India has run... 335-24, a national record for second. So I was all impressed John Thompson won, and then I'm like, well, dude, the, the guy that got second is someone I've never heard of. 
But I was like, with that name, like Johnson, like, is he like, I was wondering maybe if he was like some guy living in the States, but no, he's legit. Like, I mean, I think he was born and raised in India. And congratulations to Jensen Johnson. Excuse me, guys. Brandon Kidder, 145.9 in Zagreb yesterday. Oh. He ran 148 in Brussels on, that wasn't the Diamond League Brussels at some other Brussels meet. And then, because the Brussels Diamond League meets this Friday. Then he ran on, I think, Sunday in Berlin, 336.15, and Tuesday in Zagreb, 145.91. So th- those are two pretty good performances back-to-back with a month to go for Worlds. So everybody, all you JV runners out there, get on the Brandon Kinner bandwagon. Yeah, and the Beasts were all in that race in Berlin. I mean, Kinner 336, Isaac Yours 336, Henry Wynn 337. And also, folks, not a Brooks Beast, an Adidas member, Nick Willis, he didn't get the world standard, but he did improve to 336.99, only ninth in the race, but hopefully that gets him in. We cannot have a world. I, I liked how y'all talked about that. Nick Willis is the last remaining tie to the beginning of Let's Run's founding. So he's still going strong at whatever age he is. It's amazing. I don't know how he does it. So Nick, I'm still counting on an Olympic medal next year for you, but um, you know, some interesting results. And props to the Beast for getting out and racing. They realize, get the times down for next year. We may be going off a world ranking system. Smart moves there by the Brooks Beast. All right, guys. I can't believe it has taken us, what, like half an hour to get to the biggest story in the entire track world right now. Christian Coleman has been cleared to compete by USADA. He'll be running at the World Championships in Doha later this month. It's, it's. I mean, it's a fascinating story. It's a complicated, complex story. Robert, you, you look like you're shaking your head right now. What, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a depressing story to me. I mean, it's depressing. I've never seen a story where everyone comes off looking bad. Like, horrific. Like, as bad as you can be. It's a black eye for the sport. It's a black eye for USADA. It's a black eye for Christian Coleman. I would even argue it's a black eye for... Alan Abramson, who helped break the story of some of the details, and he was so pro-Christian Coleman. The reality is, Christian Coleman is a professional athlete. He's in the men's 100 meters. He's going to be drug tested all the time. He has to tell the drug testers a one-hour window where he can be drug tested every day of the year. It's not that hard. Everybody knows how to do it. Y'all talking about text messages. I believe there's also an app you can do it on. But And the reality is, three times in in a 12-month period, he was not where he was supposed to be for the drug testing. That is supposed to result in a one-year ban from the sport. Excuse me, a two-year ban, which could be reduced to one-year ban. So he did do that. But he's now going to be allowed to compete because one of the tests was done at 8.01 a.m. instead of 8 a.m. So technically, they didn't test in that window. If they don't test in the window, they can't find you. It's a different type of violation. I read y'all's article. It's so confusing. Here's the situation, Robert. There are two types of whereabouts failures. There is a missed test and there's a filing failure. And a missed test goes down as the date on which the missed test occurred. It means it has to have taken place. A tester tries to find you during your one-hour window. They can't find you. That is a missed test. If the tester tries to... But they can obviously still test outside of that window. you got to provide some other information, like where you're training that day, where you're going to be spending the night, your residence, that sort of thing. If they try to test you outside of that window... It goes down as a filing failure, and they can't find you. It goes down as a filing failure and not a missed test because you improperly filed the information. It didn't match up with where your, your actual location on the day. And so for Coleman, the key test for Coleman, he had one missed test in January 2019, which we still have not received an explanation for why he missed it. 
But he also had two filing failures. One was in April 29th when he was at the Drake Relays. He said he listed one location in one state for a training location. He listed another location in another state for his residence. He listed a third location where in reality he was actually at the Drake Relays. So that went down as a filing failure. But the key one here is one that happened on June 6, 2018. He said he was going to be at his home in Tennessee. They show up at his house in Tennessee at 7.55 a.m. His w- testing window was 7 to 8 a.m. In fact, he was in Eugene, Oregon, getting treatment for an injury. They began. They tried to initiate the sample collection process at 8.01 a.m., which means that because it was one minute outside the window, it doesn't go inside the window, it's not a missed test, it's actually a filing failure, and WADA has in their rules somewhere, there's a comment on one of their rules, filing failures are backdated to the first day of the quarter in which they occur. In this case, it was April 1st, 2018. That means it falls outside of the 12-month window with the other two tests. And so he only has two uh, whereabouts failures in a 12-month period. It's like the 10 of the rule. 801 doesn't matter. They know he wasn't where he's supposed to be. That should have been that date. Anyways, it just first, first of all, He's avoiding, he's not where he should be. He should be, I would, USAD, I haven't heard from you. I want to be drug tested every day for the next year to see if the contaminated meat thing works or not. I also think that you should drug test Christian Coleman every single day for the next year. I would do it for the rest of his career. We need to crowdfund this. Every day, drug test this guy for the rest of his career. But the other things that bother me so much about this, so we have some rule. How does USADA not know about this rule? And how did it get leaked to the press that they were going to charge him? And then now they have to backtrack. So it looks terrible for Coleman. Coleman, for the rest of his life, will be viewed like Moe's doorbell, a potential doper. So it's so disgraceful that A, that this was leaked. B, USA didn't didn't know the rules. Um, Coleman is just so nonchalant about these tests to begin with. Like, like It's just a travesty, really. I mean, one, I sort of agree. If the rules are it's not supposed to be leaked, it shouldn't be leaked. But I'm all for transparency. If you miss a test, I think it should be public. If it's, you have a filing fa- failure, it should be public so we can have faith in the system. So we would know beforehand there are these two systems. And was because now some people are into, they're like, oh, they, the 801 test, really, maybe they're just saying it was 801 because this is a technicality he can use to get off. And the whole thing, I mean, you can't make this up. Like the comment to the rules that says that the filing failures are backdated. That's just some comment somebody wrote in. I mean, it's typed up and it's viewed as official guidance for these rules. But if some person doesn't happen to write in that comment, which to me doesn't seem logical, or you could just as easily say the day you missed the test is the day you missed the test. I mean, he's off by so many sort of twist of the wind. It's just sort of crazy. Doesn't look good for him. I think he's extremely careless. I mean, with two of these, you just got to be more careful. And he, the whole thing shows him at best to be very nonchalant. And I mean, it's unfortunate, but he's lucky to be competing at Worlds. And now with Gatlin possibly injured, oh my gosh, like <laughs> at least he is running the world. Wait, what? Gatlin injured? Zagreb on... Uh... Tuesday, he pulled up lame with about 30 meters to go. I, I don't know. I mean, he's 37 years old. Uh, I, I think it costs doubt into how he's going to do it Worlds if he's even going to run it. More vindication for my boy, Jerry Shoemaker. Never, ever race. Don't ever race. Don't ever race. You can't get injured. That way you can win. The, 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 since with Worlds being in October, the only healthy people left are going to be the three Bowerman track girls that show up and win their gold medals in every event they run. So... One other mid-D mantra that I love, though. I didn't believe in racing often, but mid-D runners, 800, you can race all the time. 
The best workout is a race, though, so that's one thing I'd be a little bit worried about if I was Jerry. But back to this Coleman thing. John, this is another thing that I thought about. When was the last whereabouts, the third one? That occurred on April 26, 2019. But according to, because according to Alan Abrahamson's article, that was also a filing failure, which means it should be backdated to April 1st of 2019. April 1st of 2019. So we have two April 1st, so that's technically not a year. As someone pointed out, though, it wasn't a leap year. So every year is actually 365.25 days. It's 365 years, 365. So it might be within that year. Anyways. Now we've got the cork board and all the spider webs up there. This is my this is my biggest pet peeve, and this gets into the uh, Jerry and Lawson thing. April twenty sixth, and we're only hearing about this on September fourth. Like, what took them so long? Why was this guy allowed to run USA's? They, they should have notified him right away. When did they notify him? So they told him, they preliminarily told him that he had a whereabouts failure on May second, and then they confirmed that it was a th- it was a whereabouts failure on. July 2nd, I believe. And then, but they didn't actually bring a charge against him until August after the the US trial. So yeah, to me, Robert, I, I do wonder, like, what is the explanation for the delay on this? What Like, if they knew he had this failure, why are they taking so long to bring something against him? There's no scientific stuff. Like, you have three te- missed tests. You should have filed it in April. Like, it should have been the next day. We're, you're banned. We're going to start the proceedings. John, this may explain why he was a jerk to you at USA's and not entering his interviews. He's running USA's thinking, hell, I'm going to be banned any day now. I mean, this is so incompetent. Like, you need to notify people very promptly. Like, right away. He should have... I mean, if they were going to ban him, we don't want him winning USA's and then... Like you, this was a lose lose for the sport. Let's talk about something else. It's so depressing. I just want to say one more thing here: the Athletics Integrity Unit, which is the IWF's anti-doping arm, they had a chance to appeal this decision. They chose not to today on Wednesday. Uh, but I found this comment interesting. David Halman, who's the chairman of the AIU, he said, based on the facts of the case and clear advice about the interpretation of the current ISTI—that's the International Standards for Testing Investigation—received from WADA, the AIU has decided not to appeal the decision. We note that the ISTI is currently under review by WADA and we would support a change in the wording to ensure that in the future, filing failures are recognized when they occur and are never backdated. So I think the AIU here is supporting sort of the common sense interpretation that these filing failures shouldn't be backdated. But by the current letter of the law, Christian Coleman should have been cleared and the correct decision was reached. No, and people are thinking perhaps, I think people have this all wrong though. I've been bashing USADA. People think, oh, USADA lets off a doper. Basically, I've read a lot of comments saying that, you know. I think the opposite. I think USADF tries to catch people. They try to catch stars. They've caught Marion Jones, Lance Armstrong, big, big, big names, big fish, Justin Gottlin. And, you know, I think they were trying to get him. And then maybe Coleman's lawyers push back on this and then they sort of change their mind. But it just, no, no one looks good here, really. But yeah, the whole 12-month backdating thing, you're telling me if January, February, March, April, May, if I'm trying to count my six months here, if Coleman you know, has a filing fair like June 30th, that is, lawyers aren't going to say, hey, it wasn't, and it gets backdated to April 1st, they won't say, oh, sorry, too late. Um, you know, what, it was more than 12 months. It's just, Alan Abramson said he didn't want to, he didn't get off on a technicality, but like, People had to like read the very details of this thing, and it is clearly written that way. But there's no way he knew this until his lawyers poured over the fine print. 
Yeah, and I think Averson's piece talked about all the drug tests he passed. I don't care. Kevin Hatzel, the former coach at Toledo who had to resign a little bit in disgrace after, I think, having a sexual relationship with one of his athletes, he's been back on the message board recently posting a lot. He had an amazing post. He's like, I coached. I couldn't believe that he just admitted this. He's like, I coached, what, 250 women over my career at Toledo? I didn't sleep with most of them. You know, I mean, like, I passed a lot of drug tests, and that doesn't mean that I didn't do it one time. <laughs> this is amazing, Kevin amazing i can't believe that you're making fun of yourself so let's go on to something else that's the post of the week we need a sponsor for that one um any dating websites out there all right how about a little marathon talk guys the chicago marathon fields came out last week yesterday it was announced that kinesia bekele is running the berlin marathon which will actually be during the world championships and the other big marathon news i feel like centers around the olympic trials came out that Chris Derrick cracked his fibula running the Krim 10-miler, and I don't see how he can be ready for the Olympic trials. He's cracked bone right now. So where should we begin? Let's start with Chicago. The men's fields are actually just completely loaded. We already had Farah and Rupp, and now we've got an incredible supporting crew there. I mean, winning this thing, it's going to be harder than winning Berlin this year. I mean, there's no Kipchoge in Berlin. But Berlin, excuse me, Chicago's definitely the number one marathon for men this year in the fall, correct? Yeah, and I think it's the first time maybe since uh, we had the, the Bekele versus Kipchoge showdown in 2014. That was, a, that was a great Chicago. And then the year before with Dennis Comedo breaking the course record against Emmanuel Mutai. Those were two really terrific Chicago marathons. But yeah, in recent years, I think people have sort of viewed it as the the third of the three full majors because New York's a, a little bit more famous and gets some of the the bigger names. And well, I mean, Rupp, Rupp and Farah have run Chicago the last few years, so I mean that's not entirely fair. But then Berlin always gets Kipchoge. That's always a hard run to one to win. But this year, yeah, I think Chicago is definitely the full major I'm most excited for. I mean, look at some of the guys on this list. So you've got Katana Mola. This guy. He ran the fastest debut marathon in history, record eligible, of course, uh, because you know Moses Mosop also ran two oh three oh six back in Boston twenty eleven in the wind wind aided race. But Gatane Mola, Dubai marathon course record two oh three thirty four in his debut in January. That was terrific. Just behind him in that race uh, was. Hapasa Nagasa of Ethiopia, and he's also running. He ran two oh three forty in Dubai. In, uh, Dubai. And he's running Chicago. Lawrence Chirono, he's the Boston Marathon champion. Dixon Chumba, he's a past champion in Chicago. Mo Farah, and then Galen Rupp. I mean, that's really... And then Kenneth Kipkamoy, who was third in, in Boston this year. Ben Karoki's finished highly in majors in London before. Really just a, a very stacked men's field and a race I'm super excited for. It's tremendous. I mean, it really doesn't get any better than that. The women's field... I don't know, John... Originally, you were kind of leading with that in your headline, how it, it's a bit weak. But they do have Bridget Koskai. I mean, it's a really weak women's field. But they do have the best women's marathoner in the world in Bridget Koskai and arguably the best female marathon in, Ameri- in America, Jordan Hesse. So the problem is if you only have two good runners and one of them doesn't make it, you're in trouble. If Koskai scratches or Hesse scratches due to injury, I mean, it's really... I think Cosguy is probably going to win regardless. If if say could beat her, that would be a huge upset. It would be like Flanagan beating Katani in 2017 in New York. But yeah, I mean, the rest of this field, Betsy Siner has the third best personal best on paper at 220, 
256. And she's, you know, she ran really well. She won Paris last year, but she's also had some some pretty poor marathons as well. So she she's a bit hit or miss, but she does have, you know, a decent upside. Madai Perez is next from Mexico. She's, I think she's almost 40. She might be 40 years old. And she really hasn't, you know, she was fourth in Chicago a couple of years ago, but really hasn't done much apart from that in the marathon for quite some time. So this is just not a very deep field. But here's the thing. You make trade-offs, right? Like the men's field's outstanding. The women, they have the best female marathoner in the world right now, Briga Koskai, who won Chicago last year and London this year. And they've got the top American female marathoner in Jordan Hesse. So they don't have an unlimited budget. Getting Mo Farah and Galen Rupp and Cosguy and Hesse, that'll cost money. And I think, you know, the the place where they suffer is the, the depth in this women's field. But it's not just a matter of money for the Bank of America Chicago Marathon. Let's give a credit to the sponsors because there just aren't as many women. Mar- women's marathoning isn't as deep as men's marathoning. So to me, it's the opposite of New York. New York, the women's field is better than the men's field. Here, Chicago, the men's field is much better than the women's field. I mean, look at Chicago. You guys are talking about there's seven guys in Chicago this year with sub 206 PRs. New York only has, I think, three um, this year with with that number. Um, maybe it's four. Let's see. I'm reading our, our recap from from the spring. No, New York only has three. Now, and on the women's side, Chicago, what, has four sub-223 women? Is that it? Whereas New York has a ton. I mean, New York has has one, two, three, four, five, five. So I guess it's not that many more. But you know, John, you kind of you kind of um said you know they get the best women's, but Chicago does have the number one women's marathon in the world in Coast Guy. To me, this that reminds me that field reminds me a little bit of Berlin. You guys are praising the Berlin field every year. Berlin for the men's race rarely does anything for me because it's normally even going back to the. Gebra Celesti days. It was like a Gebra Celesti going for the world record and then nobody else. It was a Kipchoge going for a record and hardly anybody else. So here you have Kipchoge running really well. Not a lot of depth behind it. But it, it, I think it's good. We're going to have a fantastic men's race in Chicago with some potential spectacular... I mean, Coast Guy, watching Coast Guy and say if they run on their game will be great. And then New York can have a better women's race with a few big men's names. Robert, that's revisionist history on Berlin. 2017, he almost lost to Gaiadola. Gaiadola was leading in the last five miles of that race. Uh, ran a debut world record at the time. That was a fantastic race. 2016, there was no Kipchoge, but a great duel between Wilson Kipsang and Kenisa Bekele. I'll admit, last year, it was just an all-out world record chase for, for Kipchoge. And guess what? He fucking got it. He ran 201. It was fucking amazing. So... I, I think Berlin, yeah, all right, the Berlin fields, I'll give it you that they're not always deep, but I think that shows, yeah, maybe Cosguy decides to go out and tries to run 216. I mean, that'd be pretty awesome. And have we talked about the big name in Berlin? Bekele is in Berlin. I just saw it in the message board when I got back from vacation last night. Do we think he's in good shape? I mean, people were saying because the NN Rotterdam team or whatever it's called, the racing team, they put it out, that must mean he's in shape, but don't they always say he's in shape, John? Yeah, but I mean... The thing about Michele is like, look, I, I think the fact that he's joining the elite field three weeks before the race suggests to me he thinks he can do something. I mean, why would he race? Why would he join this elite field with three weeks to go until race day if he was hurt or if he did, thought he was out of shape? He didn't run a spring marathon this year. Like, I, I don't see the benefit to him for signing up for this race if he's just going to embarrass himself but remember the last time he stepped on a marathon course he kind of did embarrass himself because he dropped out with basically a mile to go in amsterdam last fall 
But he was still running. Like, wouldn't he have run like 208 in that race if he had finished it? Yeah, but I mean, so why why drop out? I've never understood this, and I guess this is what motivates him. He only he's obsessed about running fast. It's weird. I get I, we criticize Bakile for being obsessed with running fast. I've never understood why he doesn't try New York. He was such a good cross country runner. A lot of cross country runners. He's the world's greatest cross country runner with all the titles he won. A lot of cross country runners do well in the hilly New York course. Why doesn't he try that? But it's kind of like what motivates him to run fast. So I criticize him for only wanting to run fast, and yet then I criticize Mo Farah for never wanting to run fast and only wanting to win races. So uh, it would be interesting to see him someday run New York. It is interesting. He pretty much runs exclusively flat marathons, whereas a cross-country runner, he would be suited, you would think, perfectly for New York. Um, also in Berlin, Guy Adola, the guy who challenged Kipchoge a couple years ago. I think one good thing for Kipchoge is now the world record at 201 is just so far out there that he won't feel the pressure to, to go after the world record. He can just sort of race it. And I, I'm thinking that mindset could help him. The previous mindset definitely wasn't helping him. So I think something new can only help. But the real question is, you know, is he healthy? His father time caught up to him for good. So I don't know. That's that. Quickly. Wait. I would like to talk some more marathon news. Big marathon news. No one's talked about, folks. L.A. Kipchoge. Has anyone seen this? CNN breaking the news. Ross Tucker's taking a little slam at, 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 at Elliot Kipchoge. This came up um, last night, I think. And, you know, Elliot Kipchoge has, has compared his upcoming sub-2 attempt to the moon landing of 1969. Ross Tucker, a sports scientist who has been – we've been big fans of his, and he's been big fans of ours for a long time. He has said that that is not a good comparison. is too contrived. Here are the quotes from Ross Tucker. Getting a man to the moon involved overcoming gravity – what Kipchoge is doing is taking gravity out of the equation. It would be the same as breaking the high jump record on Mars, where there is less gravity. People within the sport who understand the constraints of what normally regulates or limits performance would appreciate this isn't comparable to the moon landing. The variables are too contrived for this to be regarded as a pure human accomplishment. John, agree or disagree? I love it. I'm not a fan of the sub-2 crap and the cheaters fly shoes. What do you think, John? I fall somewhere in the middle here, but I kind of lean more towards Kipchoge. And I'm someone who, when it was first announced he was trying Breaking 2 in 2017, I was like, what the hell is this? This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But look, Kipchoge is so much better than everyone else in the marathon right now, and anyone else in the marathon in history, for that matter, that when he came, when he won London again this year, I was thinking of the next thing I want to do. I'm like... What do I want to see him do? What would be amazing? Some feat that I could still be blown away by. Well, yeah, he'd go run New York, which he's never run, and that would be cool to see him in there. It would be cool to see him run Boston. But really, the only thing left for him to do is sub two. And we all know he's not going to do sub two under the actual conditions, you know, without the rotating paces, without maybe the uh, slipstream drafting off of the pace car, however much that might be worth or might not be worth. But... To me, what really excites me is seeing him go for sub two hours. So, yes, are the conditions contrived? Of course they're contrived. It's not going to be record eligible. But I think it's still an astounding feat. I don't think anyone can say they watched Breaking 2 and saw Kipchoge run two hours 25 and came away thinking, oh, that wasn't impressive. That wasn't inspiring. So, to me, sub two, no matter how Kipchoge... I mean, doesn't he's not going to be wearing rocket shoes. This isn't some downhill mountain he's running down like... He's running behind paces. He's getting rotating drink service. To me, it's not too contrived to to be not be impressed by it. Yeah, the CNN article seemed to focus on the shoes. The shoes, 
you know, they're either not that effective. <laughs> they're talking about three percent. They're not giving them three percent. Kipchoge's lowered the world record almost exactly one percent off where it was. Um, and you know, the studies have shown maybe the shoes. Uh, the most comprehensive study I saw said one percent. So for me, the problems are when we talked about someone going sub two in the marathon, we meant same conditions. Well, now we've changed the shoes a little bit, but then the pacing, the pacing, the wind breaking, the, the science out of the first one said that was the biggest difference. So why don't we just go downhill as well? I mean, where do you, where do you draw the line? I, I think they should just try to do it with legit pacing, find the perfect course. This course sounds really good. Why, why, why don't they just get a pacer and just see how long they can go legit Legit conditions, obviously the cheater shoes are allowed, so, and I'm sure Nike loves it every time we call them the cheater shoes. But the shoes, you know, if the shoes were giving him 3%, he'd already have the world record. I mean, excuse me, the sub two. So I don't know why this focused, maybe Tucker's on the Nike payroll because the shoes aren't helping him 3%. Um, that's sort of the catch 22 with this. If the shoes were helping Kipchoge a lot, he'd already be sub two. They're definitely helping. It's interesting to me because I've never understood the rabbits, like particularly when you can have mixed races with men and women, you know, the man could rabbit the women the whole way. Weldon rabbited Paula Radcliffe to 25 miles of a 26 mile race. So I've always thought that the pacing, I'm actually think if we're going to have world records, you should have robotic pacing. I don't have a problem with that, but I have a problem with him trying to break two when the rules haven't been changed, like follow the rules as they are. So we, we've had a sub two hour marathon. I mean, shit, Josh Cassidy did one in one hour, 18 minutes in Boston one year in a freaking wheelchair. Oh, come on, Robert. Now, John, you made a good point about too contrived. It's not too contrived. He's still running. But we, we talked about it. Wasn't I going to sponsor? There's so many events I need to sponsor. I need an unlimited budget. The, the Evan Jager sub $800,000 race. Wasn't I going to sponsor a downhill marathon? And didn't some rich guy just start a downhill marathon? I was going to get some like 205 Kenyan and have him do it. Just to, I'm going to still do it. I have two weeks. Um, break the record first. It'd be amazing. Under Armour, give me a hundred grand. I think I can do it. So, yeah, well, Robert, you mentioned pacing robots. Uh, there's going to be a pacing robot. Have you not seen the lasers? The laser truck from Breaking Two that we all love. That green glow in the morning in Monza. It's back, baby. They released these photos from the trial event in Vienna last weekend, and the pacing laser is back. So that's I count that as a robot in my book. By the way, I, I just looked at John. We can see again. Podcast newcomers, we can see each other as we record this, even though we're in different states because there's an audio. John is sporting like a, well, what do you call that? I mean, it's a mustache, but it's it's very old. I mean, I'm shocked. John, are you trying out a new look? So the explanation is uh, I've been growing a beard for the last, like, five weeks. Beard? Yeah, I had a beard for about five weeks. Uh I never used to be able to grow a beard in college. I'm 28 years old, and this is like by far the best beard I've ever grown, and really the first serious beard I ever grew. And I decided it was time to shave, but I wanted to see how what the mustache looked like. This is not a long-term look. I'll probably be keeping it for like two or three days, but I can't believe it took you we're in, over an hour into the show. You haven't even looked at me once, Robert. I'm insulted. John, I made a commitment to my wife when I took I take my marital vows seriously. I'm not going <laughs> to... Sexually objectifying people, male or female. Don't covet thy neighbor. To get to give you an idea of what it looks like, it, it's it kind of you kind of look like Drew Hunter. Drew, I'm glad to hear that you're hurt. You're going to get your stride back. Be a fan. I've been bashing so many people on this podcast recently. I kind of feel bad. But John said beard. I mean, that means he's on the podcast for four weeks, and we didn't even know he had a beard. It was a legitimate beard. All right, 
You guys may have just ignored me and not noticed it, but when I shaved it off, this thing took like half an hour to shave the rest of it off. So, uh, you know, I don't think it's fair to uh, say that I didn't have a beard at all. I, I was I was proud of that. I went to the Yankee Rangers game last night, and I was reminded that the Yankees have a policy prohibiting facial hair. Are mustaches allowed for the Yankees? I'm not sure. Uh, Robert, what's our policy for John at the World Championships? As long as he wears a collared shirt and no flip-flops, he's good to go. Shit, I'm not wearing a collared shirt right now, and I'm wearing flip-flops. This is... <laughs> I'm in flagrant violation of the Let's Run dress code. Let me share a life mantra for... You know, Cornell, we travel. I try to have the young... You dress up for what's important. You know, not a lot of people wear suits anymore. You don't have to wear a suit, but you want to look respectable, whether it's church, a wedding, the Doha World Championships. All right, final marathon talk. Chris Derrick... Will he start the Olympic marathon trials and will he make the Olympic marathon team go? Well, he's not going to make the team. I mean, Chris, I, I respect him as a runner. You know, he's he had a great collegiate career at Stanford. I think he's been a little injury. I think maybe a lot injury plagued as a pro, unfortunately. But, you know, three U.S. cross country titles, certainly a great distance runner. But you you got to log the training. You got to be able to run and race and be healthy and 10th in New York last year. He was the fourth American in that race. So I don't think I wouldn't have picked him to make the team even if he had been healthy. But just getting an injured, this this is a horrible tie. I feel really bad for him. You know, he's running the Crim 10 miler, steps in a pothole and fractures his fibula. And he's doing that, what, with less than six months to go until the Olympic trials? It's just awful timing for him. So I, I just having to rehab that and then getting in a buildup and then making the team on the day, I think it's just a monumental task. I I loved it. He was so good. How many times was he top ten in NCAA cross? Four, was it four times, John, or three? Four times. I mean, incre- incredible cross country runner. He needs to make an Olympic team. It's kind of like a Solensky. I mean, I know he doesn't have the track credentials of Solensky, but this guy needs to make an Olympic team. Um, he does. I mean, if he what if he's out two months, John, he still have four months. If he's out September and October, he's got November, December, January, and February. It's four months. I mean, he was unlikely to make the team to begin with. Still holding out hope. Underwater treadmill stuff like that. I think he'll start the race. Um, but this bothers me. I mean, going back years when he had that Achilles problem and he missed like a year, I'm like, he needs to have the surgery. I don't know if he ever had the surgery, but as someone who had an Achilles problem, it always sticks. And I guess he ran into a hole. So this is different, but lawsuit lawyers, let's run. If you want to represent Chris and we can sue the city of, is it Karam or I don't even know what city it is. Flint, Flint, Michigan. Oh no, they have enough problems. They need to help those people who drank that lead painted water. Chris, you're out of luck. They have no money, man. All right. Shall we move on? Diamond League final number two, final Diamond League meet of 2019 in Brussels on Friday. We've got some uh, pretty good distance races going on there. I'm very excited about this, and I heard last week's podcast, guys. You guys are talking about the Diamond League final. They're going to go to one DL final next year? Why? They need to have two. The Diamond League finals should be like the AFC and MC championships. They should be before Worlds, and you have two meets. Two big meets is better than one big meet. And I thought the whole thing of their whole dumb marketing revamp of the Diamond League series is, you know, people can't handle more than 90 minutes of track. So they're going to have to have more than 90 minutes of track to have a super Diamond League final. So it just doesn't make – the marketing idiots in charge of our sport don't understand anything. And on the Diamond League final, the 5,000 was a great race. No one talked about how this was the final 5,000 of the Diamond League. It was not mentioned in the broadcast. So – Oh, the marketing is driving me nuts. But, John, we've got a number of great distance races. Women, Men's 1,500 steeple, women's 805K. 
What's the big one for you? Uh, I mean, I'm just interested. I'm excited Craig Engels got into this 1500 final. You know, we, we said a couple of weeks ago he didn't get to run Paris because he was the best man in a wedding. But he's obviously having a terrific season. He looked pretty good in his race in Birmingham. He looked terrific at USA's. Now he gets to face the best in the world just before Worlds. And he gets a chance at that Olympic standard. His PR is 335.32. And I think Engels, we, we said if he was in that race... Um, where was it where they ran the, all the sub three? It was Paris where they ran all the sub 332s. I think he could have run 331 or 332 in that race. So this will be a really good chance for him to test himself against the world's best, but also to take a crack at that Olympic standard. So I'm excited for that. I expect Timothy Chariot will win it. Elijah Manigoy is not running, which is a little surprising because he had been hurt this year. Then he wins the Kenyan Championships last week, but he is not running, which cleared the spot for Craig Engels. So that's to me, is pretty interesting. Then you've got Ronald Musagala, who's been running really well this year as well. Uh, and Jakob Ingebrigtsen, Philip Ingebrigtsen going for a first Diamond League win. I expect Chariot to win, but I'm excited for that. Craig Ingalls gets to have his cake and eat it too, folks. He gets to go to Shelby Houlihan's Lake House. He gets to serve his best man at a wedding, fly back to Europe between the two, and still, you know, they, they say you can't have it all, a social life and academic life and, and running prowess. He's got the social life and the the running life, and I guess he's not in school anymore, so he doesn't need the academic prowess. So you can st- it still proves him axiom: you can only do two things well in your life, not all three. Are we going to start having a weekly Craig Ingalls part of the podcast, Alberto and Craig Ingalls? I mean, you guys are obsessed with the guy. It's good to see him in the final, but I think the big news for me is that Manangoy is not running, and I figured if he was a hundred percent healthy, he would run it. I mean, there's, he can win 50 grand. Maybe he figures he's not in shape to win it. And the prize money drops off, I think, to, is it 20 per second? So maybe a guy of his caliber, he said, hey, let's just get ready for Worlds. But I hope he's 100% for Worlds because we really need that matchup. Well, well, I mean, he's an American in the Diamond League final, and they, they don't, there aren't that many of them running these finals. I mean, Johnny Gregoric's also in there. Women's 5,000, we don't have any American entrance. Men's steeplechase, Hillary Bohr is the only one. And then the women's 800 is actually fairly American heavy. So that's the big one with RJ Wilson, Hannah Green, and Raven Rogers. That's also a big race for Sierra Brown because if, well, if Wilson wins, but if any of those three win, she gets the spot as the fourth member on the team because the US will get four spots. But I expect RJ Wilson, as she almost always does, will win this race and that would give her a Diamond League title. She's never won the Diamond League before. It would also give her, you know, the the buy for the USA. So that that's an interesting one from an American perspective is the women's 800. Men's steeplechase, speaking of uh, injured world champions, Concessal Skipruto is running that race. So we saw he came back uh, in Paris for the Paris Diamond League to book his spot in the final. He didn't look great in that race but he also didn't i don't think he looked too bad he was fifth in that race he got beat by sufian el bakali but you know it's two weeks have passed has he has he gained fitness is he you know i think it's just interesting to get an update on him and then how does hillary Bohr, the u.s champ you know handle these guys I, we haven't seen Bohr in a diamond league has he did he run paris i gotta look that up actually but he, he looked pretty good in winning the U.S. title. He looked very good in the Diamond League opener in Doha. This is his first Diamond League since USA's, so we'll get to see how serious of a medal threat he might be. I think yeah, the the American women in that 800 have a great chance. 
Um, I'd be shocked if one of them doesn't win it. I mean, obviously, really, that means Aj Wilson. But be kind of crazy. Like, what if Aj Wilson loses for, to the first time and it's to like Hannah Green? <laughs> I mean, Hannah Green, Diamond League champion, or Raven Rogers? I mean, the 800 event is just so it's just been upended without having Semenyani and Saba in there. So it's wide open. And I guess they are, you know, Brandon Kinner was my men's JV runner of the week. Sierra Brown, my women's JV runner of the week. We got to root for her. I don't want to jinx it, but she's got a really good chance of going to Worlds, assuming she's healthy, John. Like, I don't think she's raced since Worlds, so that would really be terrible if she got on the team and couldn't go. Yeah, I well, I got to take issue with calling them, these athletes JV runners. I know it's done tiny and cheek, but what? Or is it okay because you were a JV runner yourself during your career? I was like a JV B-teamer. These are like real JV runners. I, I, you know, we're just sort of saying like not the super big clubs. It's a term of endearment. Like I thought baby nationals was a cool term. I, I don't know. I just don't take offense at a lot of things. So it's totally tongue in cheek. And also, John, she's for Hoka One One, big sponsor of Let's Run this past year. I had on my Carbonex shoes yesterday. I was feeling that rocker effect. Um, you know, you might want to check them out, people. So another reason to support Sierra Brown. We at Let's Run, we love we love the JV teams, the underdogs. It's really just the underdog teams. So scrappy, Let's Run. You know, people oftentimes underestimate things that aren't all glitz and glamour. You know, like we're killing it at Let's Run, million, million and a half unique visitors a month. But people think we're just a blog. So hey, Sierra Brown, if you make the team, Jinx. Um, kick some ass at Worlds. Well, I, well, you said you wasn't sure if she had raced since USA's. She actually did race on September 1st in Bellinzona. She ran 201.57. So it's still three seconds over off of her PR, but it's uh, she's running. She, you know, she'll take that spot if she if she gets it. Yeah, that's good to see. Actually, I'm looking that up too now, and you know that's her fastest time essentially since the injury. She ran, she, you know, she didn't run this as fast this year. I think she ran 158 last year. And her best this time, at least, I mean, she ran a 159 indoors, which is nuts. But outdoors, she ran 201.19 in Rabat. And that's when the injury sort of took over. Tried to run Worlds, I mean, USA's, and ran 203 there twice. So, but 201.57 here is a step in the right direction. So one more Diamond League distance final in brussels that's women's 5000 so you've got the two women who went one two in the 1500 sifan hassan and coco klosterhofen are both running it helen obiri the reigning world champion is also there remember she beat hassan in london both at the world championships and the london diamond league this year so i think helen obiri has to be the favorite and it's going to be interesting though i mean if, if helen obiri just goes out there and beats the pants off hassan do you think hassan just says 15 10k i gotta do it or you know, does this the impact of this race? Do you think how much of a how much of an effect will it have on Hassan's decision about what events to run at Worlds? I think it's perfect for her because, well, I don't see how if Abiri beats if Abiri crushes her here. I mean, how is she going to crush her? Normally, when they race, it's pretty competitive. It looks like Hassan's going to win, and Abiri somehow comes through at the end. So, and Hassan's in such good form. Like Hassan's in the form of her life right now. If she can't win here, you don't think she's going to beat her at Worlds. But unless she gets spanked, I mean, if she gets crushed here, I think maybe you just do the 1500 worlds because then the 10K is first, right? So you're not tired. You're fresh for the 1500. 
but there's a pretty big, big gap between the you know 10k final and 1500 final. So I don't see the harm in doubling, but I just think it gets her, it, it lets her feel how, you know how good if she looks really good in the 5000. Well, I guess if she wins the 5000, John, the problem is though, then do you do this, the 105? So I think if she wins this race, you do just the 105. And if she doesn't win the race, you do the 1015. Unless she gets spanked, then you run just the 15. I think that's that's probably how I would go with it too. I think that makes sense, Robert. Coach Robert Johnson, Nike Oregon Project consultant, drawing up the racing schedule there. Yeah, who knew? All these years, Robert's been a secret NOP consultant slash double agent. What else are you guys looking forward to? I don't know, quickly in Brussels. To me, I think the men's 400 is what... I think it's going to be a great one. You got Fred Curley and Michael Norman. Curley upset Norman at USA's, so they're back at it. And, you know, less than a month out from Worlds, these things start becoming a really good preview of what's going to happen in the World Championships. That's definitely the event for me, Weldon. I think of the entire meet, I think that's the best event. I mean, Noah Lyles, obviously, he's running the 200. He's trying to complete the 100 200 double. I love watching Noah Lyles race, but. It's not going to be competitive. I think the only thing that's interesting is how fast he's going to be. And I think maybe we could see him in the 19.5s again, but I think really his fastest race is going to come in Doha. So we're waiting on that. But the 400, yeah, Norman. I mean, Norman said he was he was hurt leading into USA's. He almost can see flew out to Iowa. He only decided to run USA's after warming up and you know going through his run throughs. So. Is he healthy now? He said he was healthy after the final, you know, that the injury had passed. So how is the last month of training, two months of training gone? And then Fred Curley also hasn't run a Diamond League in that span. He's the U.S. champion. He just ran a PR at USA's 43-6. So that should be a fascinating race and a preview of the World Championship final, especially now that we have the news Wade Van Niekirk has officially said he won't be defending his title this year uh, due to injury. Some of these races are amazing. By the way, Shout out to John. I listened to the podcast this week. John, basically, he did predict the two sub-47s of the 400 hurdles happened for the first time in history, although John got the winner wrong, but pretty close, John, to an amazing pick there. But, you know, some of the sprint, sprint action is, you know, uh, really quite top-notch. Um, so it, it should just be, you know, a fantastic meet from start to finish. But I, I don't understand, again, like the marketing. Like, I know it's not going to make the sport relatively popular, but... The 200-400 double, why wasn't that possible for the women, at least the Diamond League final? So the Shelly Miller, Shoshani Miller-Weibo could do that. Like, it doesn't take like rocket science to figure this out. Like, I mean, you have to, there's a lot of different scenarios you got to think about, but come on, people. We can do better. And do we want to go to the – we've talked about professional sports, but I don't think we've talked about collegiate action. And y'all talked about it a lot about this last week. And I'm not sure if I want to go there. Y'all say that, John, what was the word you mentioned that I was described as? That doesn't mean, means I don't give a F. Insouciant. Yeah, I don't think that's the proper. I, I Googled that as you were talking about it. That's not what it said when I Googled it. But anyways, I do give an F about this, the transgender case. June Eastwood has competed in her first college meet, and she finished second overall in the entire meet. So y'all talked about a lot about this last week. Y'all have written some articles about it. She was second on her team, Robert, not second in the meet. She was seventh overall in the meet. Okay, second on her team, seventh overall. And I don't know where to go with this. First of all, I have huge personal sympathy for someone like this. It would be so hard to wake up thinking, you know, you're born with a penis and you think that you're a woman. And 
that would be incredibly, very, very challenging. And I, I've said the same thing about, I mean, Castro Semenya is a different situation, but it would be very hard to experience what she did and she's handled it with class. So kudos to her to finding her true self. But y'all debated a lot last week, like on what, what is fair. And to me, I, I don't know, like, is it, I don't want to be transphobic, but labeled as transphobic. And this is why I've thought about just avoiding this topic completely. Y'all think I'm scared. I'll talk about anything. I'm scared of this topic. Um, what's wrong with saying nothing's fair? You know, again, I, I like to try to sell my, my liberal friend who was the Hillary Clinton speechwriter to get out of jail so that I don't accuse of being racist, but she was a former division one athlete. And I, I texted her, you know, I said like, like the argument seems to be, well, you know, if June was going to be the 10th person in her conference meet as a man and she finishes 25th as a woman, then is it fair? You know, if, if you do relatively worse as a man than a woman. And I don't know. I mean, my, my friend right back and says, no, it's still not fair. If you don't have the basics of a real, well, she uses the term, wow, real female body. Now that's going to be viewed as transphobic. But if you don't have the basics of a female body, meaning the kind of person who makes and sustains infants, then compete elsewhere. So my friend is for the total exclusion from competitive athletics. I think in recreational 5Ks, whatever you want, that's fine. But the problem is, is we're never going to make it fair. It's going to vary so much for every sport. We're not going to know. We're not going to know. So uh, I don't know. All I know is the NCAA rules are a joke. And, you know, I again, I kind of hope that she wins and dominates everything. Cycle off those pills flush them down the toilet the month before NCAAs, and dominate. The theory is, though, the reason why they have this year rule is the theory is that if you're on the estrogen pills for a year, it's going to suppress your natural testosterone so much that it wouldn't come back that quickly. But I don't know. It's just... Well, I think the issue the issue you see here, Robert, is June Eastwood and CeCe Telfer, who is the women's Division II hurdler who won the national championship, they are supposedly both obeying the same rule which is one year of testosterone suppression treatment. Yet CC Telfer, I think everyone would, many of us, certainly all of us at Let's Run, would agree it's unfair that she's competing. She clearly had an advantage. She won the national title in an event that she wasn't that good at as a male. But uh, you look at June Eastwood, seventh place in this small invitational in Washington. It's not a result that's turning heads. It's not like she's out there dominating, but she's obeying the same rule as, as CC Telfer. Well, first of all, I think there's one big discrepancy between the two that y'all didn't talk about last week. Cece Telfer didn't try as a male athlete. She was barely showing up for practice. So the reason why she was able to run just as fast as a woman as a man, well, assuming they're on the same... We don't even know what meds they're on. I mean, we can't even have this discussion. But it doesn't matter. It shouldn't be whether they dominate. If, if they, as long as they don't win the national championship, it's fair. If they don't, then it's fine. You know, No. Like she's still going to take a spot from some other woman that was born female from the varsity spot. This person is not going to get to go to the varsity. This is a scholarship. What if every man, I know that people, another friend texted me and said, look, I don't think they're doing this for sports gain, but that's true. Not yet. But if college scholarships are on the line, you don't have to take any testosterone. I guarantee you people will eventually abuse the system. People, human beings have shown they'll abuse any system that they can get away with. So, to me, it's just I I don't know. I I feel like we've already we're already debating at what level is it fair. To me, the argument might be should this be even allowed at all? I mean, we're debating like at what level can someone with a penis win? An, uh, how fast can they be before it's unfair that they're winning women's races? 
Steve Soprano, employee 1.1, essentially supports your view that elite sport transgender women shouldn't be allowed to compete. And I understand and sort of respect that view. And it's sort of weird, kind of like you said, well, as long as they're not that good, it's okay. So it's like, how tough, how poorly does June have to do before we say it's okay? But then essentially, as we pointed out in the results, she affected the team standings. Another girl is going to get bumped from the travel squad. So I can see how people come down from on a societal level about about different things. You know, and then some of these people are sort of joking, but they're like, oh, the patriarchy continues. Now men are taking over women's sports. Some of the people are jerks saying that, but there's some like hardcore feminists who are like, no, like you're invading our space. And I don't think there's a right answer. Just if people can have the discussion with respect all the way around. But I think we're all in agreement, even, you know, Steve and Robert. John and me, that the NCAA rules as are, are just a complete joke. If you're going to have testosterone requirements, there needs to be a cutoff. And I think for international sports, it's like 10 whatever, nanomo- 10 whatever, 10, I don't even know what the units are. But, you know, you could easily say five or two and a half. I mean, it's really, most people I would say, like, you have, we have to make these w- transgender women not good enough to win. It's like, it's it's kind of stupid if you think about that concept. So recreational sport, I think, is a completely different thing. But there's, like, scholarships on the line. NCAA elite sport, it's just we're so pure about, about not doing drugs and not this other stuff. And the sole determining factor, I mean, sure, she has to work and train of how good she is, is, you know, how much medication is she taking to prevent her from being the runner she was two years ago where she would just absolutely dominate this division. This case to me is so interesting. Like, modern society is, like, I don't know if the word is screwed up or just complicated or what. Like, think about this for a minute. Like, you're not allowed to be transracial. Well, I actually read, I was like reading like 10, 20 articles this week, and some people say you can be transracial. Some are saying you can't. But generally, you can't be transracial yet, but you can be transsexual. Even though people say race is a gender construct and and, and gender is a, is a social construct, but you can change one and not the other. But think about this for a minute. You know, Rachel Dolezal was not allowed to be, go from white, being born white, to become uh, black in the NAACP. Some people said she was, but she was eventually fired from her job. But let's take about the presidential election for a minute. Elizabeth Warren, presidential candidate for right now, she was always said in their family, like, you know, way back in the day, a great, great, great grandmother was Indian. And they were proud of it. They'd always heard this, you know, and they always said, we're part Native American blood. And she was proud of this. And... She supposedly, after she got hired, now she claims she did not use this to get a job as a minority. She put it in the faculty handbook. But people have come back about this. And she actually took a DNA test that proved that she does indeed have Native American blood. Now, it was way back, like six, eight generations ago. But the family history was true. She's part Native American. But she's mocked both by the far left and the far right from both sides for making this claim. Yet she's actually part Native American, yet someone who's born with penis, ball, I mean, XY, basically male, can switch to the other side, and, you know, they feel that, and, and, and you know, and I, I'm trying to figure out, like, why we accept this, and I think this, I think I've come up with some reason why some people, certain times it's allowed, some it's not, is my one other friend says, look, we don't think June Eastwood's doing this. She, at least, is not doing this to get an advantage. She's doing it, you know, to be true to herself. So the reason why the Elizabeth Warren thing bothers the far right so much is people think she was doing a Native American to get an advantage, to get jobs. It's very hard to get 
you know, these faculty jobs. So if you're a minority, it's much easier. So people think, oh, she's doing this to get an advantage. If you're doing, if people think you're doing it to get an advantage, then you're viewed as out. Like Rachel Dolezal wanted to get the job at NAACP, so she's out. June Eastwood, people are like, oh, she's not doing it for an advantage, so it's allowed. But that's not how we should be deciding this. You know, it, it's a very complicated thing. It's crazy to me. Like, maybe, maybe, you know, shit, my name's Robert Johnson. Weldon's name's Weldon Johnson. They're both prominent, very famous black African-American people. I mean, I can't claim that I'm going to be black, you know, just because of, of the name. So, I, I don't know. Like, I feel for June. But I hope when they do this TV series, like, hell, have me on. Have Steve Soprano on. Have someone on who says, no, this should not be allowed. Period. Here, here is the issue as I see it is even the people there might be there are people who support trans athlete trans women competing at the NCAA Division One level, but the, the problem is like I think anytime any of these women any any trans woman in any sport anytime they start winning it becomes an issue. If you're winning all the time, people are going to say she has an unfair advantage. So essentially, we're saying yes, you can compete, but you can't win. You know, you can't be too, if you're too good, people are going to stop you from competing. I think that's a fundamental issue because when people start competing in sports, they do it. They want to win. Winning feels good. That's why you run, right? If she's running, she wants to be the best. But if she actually does become the best, there are a lot of people going to have a huge problem with it. And that, I don't think that's an issue you can solve. And this whole, Robert, this transracial thing, I mean, that's just so not common. People being transgender is much more common. I saw up to like 0.5%, which would be, what, one out of 200? That seems way high for me. But even if it's one out of 1,000, even how many Rachel Dolezals or whatever have there been? I mean, that's just so unusual to think you're a different race than you are. Whereas like the transgender thing, maybe there's some genetic or chromosomal or the societal thing when you're brought up you're at, at a you know like gender is more fluid and people are to match and there's sort of gender versus sex so i think that's slightly different um interesting you mentioned james weldon johnson a prominent african-american someone on the message board posted this there's a project in new york and they said hey we should organize something there and i saw it for the first time like two weeks ago i was going to the airport and it got diverted and there's a james weldon johnson project probably about 20 blocks from my house. So I'll link to that thread. Maybe we will do something there. That'd be kind of cool. So so it's more common. Yes. I, I'm not saying like, I, I have great sympathy for these people. Like it would be so hard. Like, yeah, I mean, so, but it's more common. So it's allowed. What, what if some, what, what if there's a one in a one, one in every hundred million people has some genetic thing that makes them think they're another race or they identify with other race. How people say that's crazy. Well, people would have said the same thing about transgender probably 50, 50 hell, 10 years ago. I was going to say 50, 100 years ago. So we don't know. I mean, the, I mean, plus the rules are so lax for their, for their taking. Like you'd have to test them all the time. You know, the assumption against even Castro Semenya is that she was cycling off the pills. Some, the I know have made that allegation against her. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel for her as a person. But I just, I don't know, because we're talking about this. Look at Connecticut in high school. You don't have to do anything 
No treatment, none whatsoever. And you win a state title gym and no one's pushing back against that. That's why I'm pushing back against it. Yes, there are people. Robert, coaches and, and athletes in Connecticut have pushed back against it. And I think their policy is a joke. You shouldn't be able to just compete without undergoing any sort well, of they haven't testosterone back. suppression. Not, not that many people are pushing back. There's a lawsuit filed by some conservative fringe group. And yeah, but I mean, true or false, they've been going one, two in the state repeatedly on no treatment. Yes. When it's not clear one of them... I think at least one of them is not doing the treatment. The other one, I'm not entirely sure. At. But the, yeah, the Connecticut policy is a joke. I'm not, I'm not disputing that. But even if they are undergoing treatment, right? Like, which we have more of a problem here because they weren't that great as male athletes and now as females, they're winning the state title. So we just assume that's wrong. I totally see the argument that Steve makes and that Robert sort of makes. It's like, no, maybe it's not fair, period, that you can p- compete in elite sport. So I think the key all along really is yeah, there may be, obviously, it's difficult, I think, to be transgender and more difficult than person who isn't, I would say, for sure, in society. But you can be treated like respect, and there still can be different opinions on what's permissible in terms of sport, because we have two categories of sport, male and female, and the protected category is female, and we got to protect that class. And you have to draw the line somewhere. And I don't think it makes you a bigot if you draw the line somewhere else than somebody else. As long as, you know, you'll see some of these comments on Let's Run, they're very disrespectful. But a lot of people just want to protect women's sport. They want to protect sport, and they have no animosity towards Juni Eastwood or any other transgender runner. So it's amazing also how far this has come. And I think that's due to Caitlyn Jenner. Like, just the acceptance of trans people in general has really been pushed along. I feel like that's a very good thing. Um, and it's more more people are coming out and saying, "Hey, I'm transgender." So hopefully, as a society, we, we can you know g- get to somewhere on this. But I don't know. You're never going to make anybody happy. It's too contentious of an issue. Right. And the problem with modern society, particularly identity politics, if you have a viewpoint someone else doesn't agree with, you're labeled as a racist, bigot, transphobe, homophobe, you know, whatever. So your viewpoint is not even valid. So that's why I almost don't want to talk about this. Like, hell, what if I want to be the governor of Maryland, president? I think. You're done. You just you just went off on some spiel for about two minutes about transracial. <laughs> I'll delete. Yeah, there's certainly no history in our recent political past of someone saying something outrageous and then being elected to the presidency. That we have no precedent for that whatsoever. People don't actually. No one. No one recognizes about Trump. One of the reasons why Trump was elected president is because this stuff has gone so far that there's a big portion of the population that is saying no. We, we've gone too far. Like we can't do this insanity anymore like we want to have a border to our country and we want to do this and that and people are like no you're racist big homophobe so like i don't know it's like and then now people are so outraged by trump the the left's pushing the other way like the the extremes are on both sides are just going crazy right now like the middle ground is no longer an acceptable place for people to be at least on social media so let's talk about something else guys that was rojo explains america brought to you by floyds of leadville I think the key was there, at least on social media. The extremes garner a lot of attention on social media. It's a major problem with all those platforms. All right. To our ultra running fans out there, I don't know. UTMB, one of our... How many majors do we have, Robert? Three or four majors? We didn't really cover it too much. It was Labor Day weekend. They need to schedule these things now, Labor Day weekend or Diamond League final, you know? We, we need to have a worldwide running category. It was this weekend. Robert, tell me who won. 
Um, I know it wasn't Killian Jornet. Actually, according to Walter, won the women's race. I know that much. But I, I was looking through the results today. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought Killian Jornet was the man. He owns UTMB. This is a major. Why didn't he crush this thing? And then I'm like, what, what, what about, uh, what about, uh, Walton's favorite guy, uh, 50 50? Jim Walmsley? Yeah. What about Walmsley? He's wanted to win. He wants to win the Grand, Grand Slam. I think we had four majors, Well, You got to win the Grand Slam. UTMB, Comrades, um, Western States, and John, help us out. Comrades, UTMB, Western States. Did you? I thought it was just three. You had a fourth one? No, Robert. It was only three. The triple crown of ultra marathons. Comrades, Western States, UTMB. Right before the podcast started, I called Weldon up and I was like, wait a minute, Killian Jornet, where's he? Walmsley, where is he? Weldon's like, well, Killian Jornet, I guess Walmsley might be getting, no, the Olympic trials are way off. Anyways, Weldon told me Killian Jornet went for the Pikes Peak record. So a big thing I've realized in ultra scene is people will try to go for these historic records. So he tried to go for that and didn't go to UTMB. But that'd be kind of like skipping London. Oh, I guess it's like L.A. Kipchoge. He skips London to go for some, well, I guess the Pikes Peak record is a lot more obscure than the two-hour marathon. But same concept. And then, yeah, I see now there's a message board on Fred. So Killian Jornet skipped UTMB to go for the Pikes Peak, Matt Carpenter's Pikes Peak record. He missed it. But now he's going back up Mount Everest because there's some thread with thousands of posts saying that he actually didn't break the summit record on Mount Everest. There's some question about whether he actually did it. So I don't know if he's going to actually try to break the same record he broke before or whatnot. But this will keep people interested. And maybe this one in advance will actually follow it. Wait, he has the summit record on Mount Everest? That can't be right. John, where have you been, man? You don't run up Mount Everest, you hike Mount Everest. John, that's the thing. He did it and he kicked ass. He went up to the top once and back down and they couldn't believe it. And then he did it again and it's like some double record. And there's this huge thing and mountaineering and the Spanish blogs. And some people claim GPS doesn't work that high, but there's like... Like Sage Candidate hinted at this. There's a, a, I think there's a lot of people who think he didn't make it to the top or a false summit or something. I don't know how you get to a false summit at Everest. I feel like it'd be very well delineated. But that's what we're going to get into now, John. After the fall marathon season, we will discuss Mount Everest summiting. It's probably way more popular anyway with the average person. I don't think it's popular with... I mean... It's probably not. It's just as popular as running. Neither of them are popular, but uh, yeah. He, I mean, it's pretty interesting because I talked to people about this. Like, he's basically being accused of cheating, and I talked to one guy. He said, "Well, I don't care. He's, he's so honorable in the rest of his life." I mean, but if he cheated, this is a huge thing. Like, I don't know. But it kind of reminds me of of Giannis Chorus. Like when he first came onto the ultra scene, he was so good. People accused him of cheating, and the next year he went back to I think it was the Athens to Sparta race or whatever that's called, Spartathlon, and people were like, "There's no way he ran it this fast." So they had media following him everywhere, and he did it that fast. So. You know, I, I think that um, Jornet, I think the first time he did UTMB, he was so good, people thought the same thing, and then he's done it again. So maybe he's just so much faster than else, people didn't didn't believe it. But yeah, Outside Magazine has articles about it. It's pretty interesting. So yeah, I'll, I'll be into that, I guess. Well, I think that's enough running talk for this week, guys. The Diamond League final final is Friday in Brussels. We'll have everything on that and Let's Run. And then Monday and Tuesday, is it, John? We have a new meet on the calendar. The USA versus European duel or something. I'm not sure what the exact name is. But John has breaking news to report. I think it's just called the meet, is it not? The match. Sorry. Europe versus USA. It's the Ryder Cup of track. 
And I will break the it's news. Mostly a JV US team, but you know they, there's still a few athletes. Allison Felix is running it. That's one of the names they have. Craig Engels too. Let me break the news, folks. Jonathan Galt had been hyping or sort of insinuating the Bowerman track team members might run that race for some reason. I'm not sure why John had that impression. They will not be running that race. So the Bowerman track men will run zero races between USA and Worlds. And Jerry Schimmelmaker will be vindicated when they show up healthy. Well, they have a, the Bowerman Track Club has athletes running it, the race. It's not the ones that are running Worlds. And also, I did just see Portland Track just added a 5,000 meter race on September 10th. I'm not going to say that, you know, Bowman, uh, maybe, I'm just saying maybe a Bowman athlete shows up in that race. Uh, we'll see. You mean a time trial, John. They're very known for running time trials. So we've got it. We have a new term, the JV runners. We also have the Bowerman JV. The Bowerman JV will be at the Europe versus USA meet. I think since we're calling clubs JV, if you're not at the Worlds, you're JV. Wow. Everybody's silent. That's a good way to end. If you want to give us feedback, let'srun.com slash podcast. We're actually now checking that and reading the feedback. Go there. And also, if you need new running shoes, let'srun.com slash shoes. Guys, you need to be buying your shoes there. Till next week, Weldon Johnson signing off for Jonathan Galt and Robert.